RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 3, Episode 12, Jeffrey Ferguson Fan Film Letters, December 1968. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Yes, all you Trekophiles with an F, background fans, canon fans, and you know, as we always say, you students of Star Trek history, <laughs> both behind and in front of the camera. Uh, especially this time, out in the audience, we have a document, we have a small saga that takes place in 1968, but as we say, it could be ripped from the headlines of today. <laughs> Take a listen to this sample of a correspondence that Gene Roddenberry had with a fan out there. As always, go find all our documents at our Facebook page, Headquarters, The Trek Files, and we'll be right back with this week's guest. In my discussion with Mr. Frank Wright, I understood that the fact that no commercial use whatsoever of this film would occur would sufficiently surmount any problems. Apparently, it has not. I'm determined to do this film, unless, of course, I'm faced with a suit from Paramount. Only then will I suspend production. As I stated in my letter to Mr. Barton, I asked him if Paramount, although not authorizing this film, could perhaps not take notice of it. I am awaiting his answer. All right, Trek fans and Trekophiles, <laughs> that gives you a taste for what we're up to this week. Um, a little corner of Star Trek history that, yes, might just have some relevance for today's times. And we've actually got a triangle here going between Gene Roddenberry, Howard Barton, who's West Coast Chief Legal Counsel for Paramount, and fan Jeffrey uh, Ferguson here from the West Coast, UC Irvine. Um, hmm. A fan wanting to do a film based on Star Trek that's not a satire. Where have you heard that before? I don't know. John Champion, friend of the show, and of course everyone knows uh, host of Mission Log and Mission Log Live. Uh, have you heard this scenario before? Does this have any relevance to our Star you Trek and, and media culture landscape today? Larry, this is so tough for me to put my fingers on. It just seems so extraordinary. Um, that, that some fan who is a really big fan, a true fan of Star Trek, uh, would want to express his fandom by doing a fan film. And apparently he's a film student who's, who's had a right. lot of experience and right. turned out his own pictures right. and movies and productions and has access to a whole network of equipment and people yes. who are similarly motivated. It's just beyond the yeah. pale. Oh. I, I can't believe it. Oh, okay. All right. So this, okay. well, there, there are a couple of ways that we can do this show. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, um, you and I are fans and presumably people who listen to this show are fans as well. And we all have ways of expressing our fandom. And somebody said to me one time, you can't tell somebody else how to be a fan. And that's very true. Mm -hmm. This is that... Don't you be a gatekeeper. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't, don't be a gatekeeper be, at no, all. No, no, yeah. no. This is a place where uh, that, that sometimes ugly intersection of fandom and commerce collide. And um, it's very interesting to see what was happening here 50 years mm -hmm. ago mm -hmm. while Star Trek is still on the air. 
You know, so that this is not, it hasn't been laying fallow for years and years. This is not after school watching the daily reruns. No, no. This is, yeah. Yeah, Star Trek is very much on the air. It's very much alive to those fans who are watching it in the first run. And and here's Jeffrey who comes along and, and like many fans, wants to express his fandom somehow. And his trade happens to be filmmaking. With a name for his production company already. Yeah. He's he's an ambitious college kid. No, it's, and these kind of, in fact, I uh, this is what I love about history in general. This is why I'm such a fan of Will Rogers. This is why I the fact that very little happens new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of a more it's a, it's a more um, positive take on he who forgets the, the past is doomed to repeat it. Right? right. This is a case of nothing new really ever happens. All of this has happened in some form before. Right. Right. Here you've got someone who. Has a film background, burgeoning student, but still very interested in film, intersecting with the passion that he's feeling for Star Trek. Something that's new to the world. Look, it's December 1968. They just came off the successful Save It for a third season. It's third Mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. They're still flush with the excitement of, you know, the fans won. We made NBC back down and renew our show. And he's not militant. He's not a militant fan. He's very respectful. But right. you talk about the intersection of, of, of fandom and commerce. Yeah. Part of that is <laughs> a lot of people feel secure knowing when everything has been black and white. Yeah. And what yeah, happened yeah, yeah. then and now in a lot of fandom and a lot of you know, license holders, Star Trek and otherwise, is the big gray area. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with grays, but that's where poor Jeffrey, I don't know if he ever does realize that he would have been better off if he hadn't tried to be so by the book oh, well, and when, black and white and lived in happened? the gray. Okay, yeah, in 1968, had he not heard the phrase, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. <laughs> yes. He could have saved himself a world of trouble here just by doing it, just by going right ahead. But I feel like this is one of those instances where the, where the fandom wasn't quite enough, the expression of the fandom wasn't quite enough. Enough. He wanted that that touch, that that sort mm-hmm. of connection to the actual production office, and that is his downfall here. Um, that that's really unfortunate because he mentions in one of the other letters he talks about, and Gene even mentions, "Hey, look, we we sort of." ignored, sort of quasi-allowed, quote-unquote, you know, a play or some sort of tribute to happen. Mm-hmm. Can we do that here? But the the bigger the scale gets, the more demanding this gets, well, no, you, you, you have to draw a line at some point. Even as an air quote college production or a college project, right. film project. Right. right. No, it's just, it's amazing. All the elements of very famously, all the controversy we've had recently with fan films. The, in fact, the gamut that they've run. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. you could say fan films coming up in the vacuum as as ratings were declining, as there was kind of a malaise, even with Enterprise on the air. Yeah. Our, our, this recent 10, 15-year era of the fan films that hit such an apex here. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost in a corporate interest to turn the other cheek and the blind eye and let yeah. things happen, especially when there's nothing actively happening in production. Yeah. What I always call the fallow years. But then when production is ramping up again, I mean, the landscape changes, but that's, 
you know, that's nothing new. That's not unexpected. Yeah. That's what happens. Well, well th- this is the tricky thing, is that that, that double-edged sword, you know, mm-hmm. once you become popular, people want a piece of that popularity. Something like Star Trek, which is enormously popular, but not just popular, but but has this hold on the the sort of the the interests and and the passions uh, of its the fans. inspirational, aspirational, motivating you to go out and do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, You're inspired, so they do. right? Yeah. You're inspired so to do. go forth and multiply, yeah. Yeah. and that's you know that's happening with Star Trek today. Now mm-hmm. you look online now, you see the the memes, people doing their CGI ships or their props or their cosplay, right? right. Their model building. I mean, yes, and it's been part of Star Trek from the beginning, and that's been a part of a lot of you know since we've had media, mass media on a scale big enough to affect a mass audience, right? Mm-hmm. So that's just been maybe a 20th century thing to begin with, aside from, I don't know, religions yeah, right. <laughs> that can have a continued, yeah. sustained, you know, inspirational, yeah. uh, affectational input on people and yeah. uh, effect on people. And only in the, you know, movies and, you know, musicians and rock stars, but nothing was Star Trek and still Star Nothing right. like Star Trek existed until Star Trek. I so, mean, I, well, you mentioned the historical aspect here, and, it, and immediately a couple of things came to mind. So uh, uh, popular media, such as it is, you know, early 20th century, and then science mm-hmm. fiction, again, late 19th, mm-hmm. early 20th century, there were fan expressions of fandom. So you sure. think about early science fiction conventions, the right. world First convention. fandom, world yeah, yeah. in the 30s. And, right. and people wearing costumes. Right. And, and right. great, again, this is this is what you want to see. It's people kind of doing their homemade expression of their fandom right. and, and reveling in that world, sort of playing in that world for a moment. Of the imagination. Not right, Halloween, right. not theatrical. Right. 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 Inspired by this entertainment property. Sure. Now, let's also talk about the same time. Okay, 1930s. Well, you've got some major commercial products, and immediately my head went to Disney. So Mm -hmm. you've got the Walt Disney Company with this incredibly popular character, Mickey Mouse, for Mm -hmm. those of you, you know. (laughs) And and what do you think they start doing the more and more this character gains in popularity? Well, you have to start to stamp out all the counterfeiters and all the people oh, who right. come along and, right. and start, you know, so again, this is not new to an entertainment company the size of Paramount. Um, fast forward here to 1968, and what's interesting to me here, you've got a college student who has resources. He's got the resources of a, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, stages and sets and, and actors. We're, and we're talking pre-digital. You're talking pre-digital, so this that film's got to go to a lab, yeah, yeah, and be so, developed. Yeah, right. this would have been extremely hard for somebody to do in their backyard without an enormous amount of money. He's got the resources mm-hmm. through a college to do this. Now let's look at the evolution 50 years later, where the cost of entry to do high-quality mm-hmm. production is much lower, and everybody can do it. You're walking around with a studio in your pocket. You're not having to fund an optical printer to do your even elementary basic special effects. So it's so interesting to me that the problem here, and it's not even necessarily a problem, but the the, the conundrum here is the same, but the technology and the accessibility changes over time. The hill he has to get over is even tougher than it is today as far as getting it produced. For sure. But he's, he's geared up. But what I love about this is the passion. Mm-hmm. We're talking about fandom and people. We talk about fan ownership. Yeah, and yeah, I was right. It was the maybe the first flush of fan ownership being a thing. They've mm-hmm. just 
in the fans' eyes, they've yeah. just beaten NBC into submission, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll teach them, yeah. you know, and now, yeah. they, unbeknownst to them, NBC's about to teach them by sticking it on Friday Night Late. But, right. but, but aside from fan ownership, you cannot say enough about just the, the innocent... Yeah. Passion. This is 68. Vietnam is heating up. We've just had the Chicago riots. We've mm-hmm. had two assassinations this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, when I say innocence, I don't mean, you know, Pollyanna. I mean, it's yeah. a tough time they're living in. Yeah. But yeah. we are so drenched now, 24-7 with media and social media and people, you know, uh, Stephen Whitfield's book, Making of Star Trek, wasn't just a Bible on making Star Trek. It was really a Bible. The first time average Joe could, and Jane could see how TV was made in right. layman's terms. Right. And it was kind of a revolution. And at that time, the passion that he is showing, it's a little bit more of a naive time, a little less sophisticated time. But at the same time, the basic passions, the basic emotions are there driving him and his group mm-hmm. of players yeah. 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 <laughs> to, to want to do this project. So underlying this, you know, he's very we, we see all the touchstones today. I'm not trying to make I'm smart enough to know I can't make money. on right. this. I'm not right. trying to commercially do this. We're doing it for the experience. I could pick any property, but something about Star Trek yeah. is is pushing us all to spend this time and our own money on our own project. And when we're done, we'll give it to you. Yeah, he's not even trying to become a YouTube star. <laughs> he's <laughs> okay, but but here's the thing: all that said, and all the all the good intentions that are there, what's strange to me is the pushback. So Gene, Gene graciously, because again, this is sort of new to him. Gene's just the right. guy with the show. He doesn't own Star Trek. So he's like, eh, is there anything we can do here? But immediately Paramount Legal says, no, we cannot do this. And here are all the reasons we can't do this. The pushback that comes from that, though, is what's really shocking to me. Because I would think, and again, I'm not in this position, but... Had I written a letter to a you know multi billion dollar corporation uh, with an army of lawyers and every resource at their disposal and saying, "Hey, can I do this thing?" and they say, "No, you can't do that thing. Here are all the reasons why." I'd say, "Okay, nice talking to you. Cheers, mm-hmm. <laughs> bye." But the the lengths that he goes to to uh, to explain his displeasure, his disappointment, and and really trying to make the case and, again and his sadness, yeah, his sadness and his yes. angst yes. about. Yes. Well, again, this is 1968. The other side of the coin is that no one knows what's coming down the pike. Yeah. No one knows even about the first wave of, of course, fandom. Of course. The yeah. show is still technically on the air and would be for a few more months. We hadn't even gone through the angst of cancellation and the whole comeback tour, right? right. And 10 years right. of fan activity and all of that. And. But people know that it was on. Now we would say it was on the bubble. It barely got renewed. The series barely got renewed. You've got a corporate, and it's Paramount now. It's not Desilu. It's been yeah. Paramount now yeah. for a year. So this is uh, this is the legal counsel of Paramount. Um, and it maybe not quite as small a family cottage studio. I don't know if, if it'd still been Desilu. If the Desilu attorneys would have said, "Okay, fine." Because, I, I, I can't imagine that not, anybody would. I can't well, imagine, because here's the thing: if you're a fan writing to the Lucy Show saying, "Wow, the Lucy Show is great," I'm going to do my own fan series called uh, "The Adventures of Fred and Ethel." It'll be a prequel. And it, no, I, I think Desi, I Lucy, Lucy Lucille Ball herself is going to show up at your door and say, uh, "Yeah, I, you can't do this." I appreciate that you're a fan, even but the you can't do this. Even the aspect of 
boy, our series is on uh, is on shaky ground, yeah. you know, numbers yeah, wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And boy, if we have some some grassroots attention put on it, that's mm-hmm. that would be awesome. You know, I, I guess the uh, the march on NBC Burbank was one thing right. <laughs> over right. The, right during the right. during the the Save Star Trek campaign. This is one thing too far. But what's amazing to me in all this correspondence is the basic elements that all through. Anything really from the, when the the fan as the internet grew and mm-hmm. the fan struggles about um, IP use and what fans could do on their own websites and imagery and all that. I mean, there's been a real evolution in what's competitive and what's what could be fair use and not fair use, yeah. and that's different. The '90s was a frontier time, and a lot of people there were some major you know cease and desist done now that today are accepted as the way of life, not just with Paramount, Star Trek, and CBS, yeah. but Across all franchises like that. Well, then, fan, fan creativity will always be there, right. and there will always be a technological change that could not have been foreseen by the legal team to say, oh, okay, well, we have well, to protect ourselves against this, this, and this other unknown thing. Very famously <laughs> you know? in this whole process, the guys that are stuck being the stick in the muds are the attorneys. Right. They have to be right. the most conservative, and they're the ones that are the furthest from that cutting edge that's got so many people exactly. excited. The fans excited. The creators going, holy crap. They're they're taking our thing and doing it. What fans are great, and the attorney's going, hold on, hold yeah. on. That's great that there's such fans, but we, you know, no. I part of this also is the fact that it's a triangle to me, yeah. And that Gene was trying to find a way, and that he quickly butts out. We don't he have does. Oh, we yeah. don't have his reply to yeah. any of this, and but just. You know, even Howard Barton trying to be conciliatory, but saying, "Sorry, I'm wearing a suit. Mm-hmm. I gotta, yeah. I gotta say this," yeah. and and it's the the pathos in Jeffrey's pullback. And so, but these other guys, they ran off and did a crappy little thing that was crap. Right. And they did it, and they even sold theirs for fifty bucks to a theater. <laughs> and mine was going to be way better and way more respectful. Yeah. And, you know, it's you can you can see his anguish in yeah, his words. Yeah. But um, you know, we we looked we did a cursory look and didn't find any. You know, any any if if Mr. Jeffrey M. Ferguson is out there mm-hmm. with Sin Art Productions, could tell us what happened yeah. as a follow-up. Did you get to make it? We would, yeah, yeah. We have a feeling, no, we don't see any record. Um, now, by '74, there was a fan film made. I mean, the mm-hmm. world was evolving in the '70s, and mm-hmm. and Gene was Star Trek was his own baby, and he's already in his own, you know, resurrection campaign as the '70s wore on, as you know. But it, it's just amazing to see um, how all these same elements. Are, they're so early, but they're exactly the same as right. what we have today. Well, Larry, I, I feel like we're not done talking about the fan experience of Star Trek. So uh, here's the deal. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back next week, and then we're going to talk about another fan letter. How about that? Wait, wait. wait. Oh, I, okay. I, I oh, think wait. I've got one right here. But, okay. Um, yeah, let's save it. Okay. <laughs> the Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All our documents are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at larrynimichek.com. Trek well, everybody. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network